so go ahead. We said one o'clock we would start. So it's one yeah, o'clock. One, one o'clock was the plan. And and Simpson, I've I've actually contacted uh, Andrew. I don't know three times and said, "Are, are you good for one o'clock on Sunday?" Uh, I just got a text message from twelve fifty nine. Almost ready. Just making the kids lunch. That's not a one minute activity. Making the kids lunch. Like you're just starting that now. Like how long is it going to take you? It, in fairness to, to Simpson, from what I remember from when we were in school together, his lunch was always an eat more and a Dr. Pepper. So to open a eat more and to crack a Dr. Pepper is about 15 seconds. If he feeds his kids You're what he fed wrong. himself, yeah, he, it, he will be ready. All right, welcome everyone to Second Story. With us today, we have Andrew Simpson, and Andrew's here to share his story. So, Simpson, let's hear your second story. Well, I guess my second story would be um, when I came to Thunder Bay, and uh, this is the career side or the school side, because there's actually two. I just realized. Yeah. Because I kind of. Uh, I'm more interested in your career, career side. side yeah. I, I lived your day. Yeah, you did that. School side. Um, so, yeah, I was a client rep in the film industry. Um, for about nine years, working my way up from running the textile department at William F. White, and then before that, working on the floor, pulling orders and loading up crews, uh, going out for features and TV. Uh, did that for a long time, slowly got into uh, set work again. Um, the whole union side wasn't for me. And uh, after getting a taste of that, I kind of hit my ceiling of where I thought I could go with my previous job. And an opportunity to become a professor at uh, my old film school in Thunder Bay opened up and uh, I jumped on it. And luckily the person who was leaving our professor, Don DeLorme, he was the equipment guy and being a client rep for the largest equipment house in, in, in Canada really helped uh, leverage my position. And so I was able to get the gig. Here I am. Second story. Nice. <clears throat> I, 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 want to ask because uh i don't know that i remember it getting old yeah. what initially so you went you mentioned film school we all went to film school in thunder yeah. bay weird place to go yeah. not necessarily a hotbed for it but what initially brought you there because you grew up in toronto yeah. right um so, what brought so you the main reasons why thunder bay a i had to get away from everyone i had to i had to be alone um because i felt like if if i was gonna take this on i think i don't know for you two because you're both kind of dude broish, but like I really wanted to <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to slide. What does that I just wanted mean? to slide that in. No. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us when we take film, it's like it's a big risk, especially for us, because it's not like there was a factory of movies being made that we were gonna come out and work on, right? It was like, yeah, you could go to Corner Gas or like you could go on the eighth season of Heartland or what? Nothing. So it Trailer, Trailer Park, Park Boys. Boys. So there was nothing. And on top of that, it's an industry where, like, or at least in this field, like, you're, you, you're going to expose yourself. You're going to, like, you got to put your emotions on your sleeve a bit. That was hard. I didn't want to do that in front of people that I grew up with. You know, I just, I, I would collapse. So I had to go as far away as humanly possible. And Thunder Bay was the furthest film school. And then when I researched it and realized they were the only ones still shooting on film and still had more of, like, a cinema approach like an old school um brick and mortar style of filmmaking as opposed to every other school which very it, it every other school when i talked to them it felt like a toothpaste commercial like they were telling me everything i wanted to hear but they there was no value to the words they weren't showing me anything and when i would ask them questions it was like that's right we're a film school so it just i could tell they were full of shit and when I talked to Dennis, I, I could tell that he was sincere. And you, you all don't know this. Dennis, it, we all laugh because he was he's very much a hippie. But at the same time, he's very much a human being. And so I knew I was talking to a human being. And so film, far away from everyone, an actual human being, this is where I'm going to go. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think, kind of our influences or our age demographic. Um, I guess, I guess the people that were influential, influential, the directors and filmmakers from our time, is that what made you want to go towards the more um, 
because you were talking about it being like on actual film and the other yeah. places were maybe geared a little bit more towards broadcast. Do you think that's what pushed pushed you and pushed us? Yeah, there? I mean, I, it pushed me. Uh, my film school prior to this um, was a TV show on TVO um, that no one watches. It was um, called Magic Shadows, and then it became Saturday Night the Movies. There was a host called Eliost, and he was just this really passionate film connoisseur, and he was able to just get all these incredible interviews and he would talk to classic filmmakers like people like David Lean, you know, and talk about Ryan's daughter, endless amounts just talking about Robert Mitchum and just how this film was made. But it was a different approach. It was a different way of it was almost like we all love this. So let's just talk about how awesome this is. And I always liked that. I always liked that approach. And so I think I've always gravitated more towards performance and more succinct cinematography with intent. And I felt like a lot of what was happening currently, although very fun movies, there wasn't a lot of intent happening. There were people like Fincher and Tarantino that were definitely reinventing intent uh, and showing new ways of how to use cinematography to tell stories. But I had a le- I had this big list of movies that I loved and they were all old. And so I, I, I like that classic style. And that's why I wanted, I wanted an old school discipline. And I didn't know if I was going to do this after I graduated. It, I actually didn't think I was going to do this. I thought I was just going to go back to pumping gas and, and, and just, you know, dying in some small town somewhere. Um, so if I'm going to do so it, you did think you were going to go work on corner. No, <laughs> boom. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't think any of this was going to happen. Right. I, I thought I would just quit and then just disappear again. And so I just wanted to have two years. It's, I want. I got two comments. One, it's funny. Like out of our graduating class of people, our graduating class, I believe, was eighteen or nineteen, yeah. or something like that. It was it was low. We started with like fifty something. Yeah. So a lot of people were thinking, oh, "I'll be easy. It's film school." But it's actually incredibly hard, and only basically one third actually finished. Um, so that was always interesting. But out of our group, I think only like two or three don't work in some capacity in the industry. That's true out of like 18 or 19 graduates, like almost everybody works in the film industry, which is pretty insane. Yeah. You don't hear that too often about, about many, you know, graduating classes. The other thing, it's funny, you called us a dude, bro, but you also talked about how you needed to go and like be isolated from kind of what you knew. Yeah. That's exactly what it was for yeah. me. I had been a dude, bro, my entire life sports kid. It was only like, I'd kind of discovered an artistic side of myself when I was like 17, 18. And none of the people I knew understood it. So like I felt misunderstood by everybody around me. So I did feel like I needed to go. And my dream was always to go to Vancouver because it's the most artistic place in Canada other than Toronto. But I just felt like I needed to isolate myself from everything I knew. And that was why I chose Thunder Bay ultimately. That's awesome. Interesting that yours is very similar. And, you know, uh, it's one of my – sorry for moving the camera. Um, One of the things that drives me nuts is that I've got a really good memory. And I hate that I have a good memory because it's just always there. But I remember our first conversation. You're the first person I spoke to in film school. We went out for a smoke. Mm-hmm. First break, we went out to the front of the school. Most people went out to the back. I don't think we knew that that existed. And we got in trouble, we got for, in trouble it too. for it. We did, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you told me about Clint Manziel. And you said that you mm-hmm. he was one of your biggest inspirations. You loved Requiem for a Dream. You loved Aronofsky. You loved how Clint Manziel's score was able to, you know, elevate the, the impact of this film in a way that you hadn't experienced before. And I remember thinking, oh, thank God, because I have never had anyone say that to me in person before, you know, um, everyone in my in my upbringing was just pieces of shit. You know what I mean? Like everyone, <laughs> like at the end of my well, you know, right, because Corey, I said my neighborhood's fucked up. And you were like, oh, it's not that bad, Simpson. And then a lady tried to cut off your vehicle with her baby. You remember that? And we were driving on my street. And she, like, threw her stroller into your car. And was like, what? Her baby. I'm like, this is where I grew up. At the end of my street was a motel and a strip bar. Right? So This is why you're so tough. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm the toughest guy in the world. (laughs) Yeah. So I was I'm I'm really good at hiding. And uh and and so like I just again, I just you didn't think this was gonna happen. Uh I I don't even know what 
why I did it. Cause I really didn't even think I was going to get in. The only experience I ever had of any of this growing up was they filmed an episode of Kung Fu. The legend continues at that sketchy motel called the willows. And I remember watching all of them work and being like, I guess this happens here. I would just stare at them and study. I guess it was weird, but and nothing else going on. But yeah, I just, I did not gonna, see that. I did not see a connection to, to, to this industry through anyone I talked to. And then, and then I talked to you and like, oh fuck, okay, there are other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get, I'm going to make an assumption. So uh, based on where you grew up and, and how you grew up and the people that you grew up around, yeah. did you feel that you didn't, you didn't fit in there? And then going and uh, to add to that, going to film school, did you kind of find your people? Uh, I would say no, I didn't feel like I fit in. No. Um, I don't know if I would say I found people in Thunder Bay. I don't know if I ever allowed myself to really be comfortable. I think I always kind of kept everyone back a bit. Um, but I was able to engage and emote and, and that was difficult at times, but at least I had people around that I could do that, you know? And that was that was interesting because I never had that before. Yeah. It it really was an artist dream, yeah, like to go to school absolutely. there. Somebody who had never, yeah, I I had felt pretty much like I didn't I didn't fit in anywhere, and this and really film school was the first place where I where I fit in. So and it still is that yeah, way. It was a nice feeling for sure. You know, you you That's see good. these kids, and there's fifty of them. And there are five or six that are super dynamic and they're, they're already ready to go. And the other 44 look at them and they're like, I don't belong here. And so my job for those few weeks is to reassure them they do, you know, every single, I, I, we're very lucky. We're given this, this spreadsheet the week before school starts and it has all their names and all their pictures. And so I study it intensely. So that I know their names at orientation. I don't let on that I do. I ask them their names and I learn from them. But just so I know at the drop of a hat, I can let them know that I recognize them as an individual and say that, like, you're here and you belong here and I need you to do something to stay here. Because, like, you're right. This is the greatest two years that, that these kids will have, you know. Um, hopefully they'll have better ones afterwards but uh, hopefully up until this point you know we can we can say that to every single one of them right because like meant a lot to all of us i know it did right that's why we all care about it we all still talk about it i had a students have a film up for some awards in toronto last year and when they announced conflicts several gasps in the audience and they were all running up looking for who the conflicts person was because like, oh, I, I went there because they know Right. We went through something that no other film school went through. Right. We all had to live together for two years, which is why our humor is so brutal at times. But it's because we lived. Yeah, <laughs> we lived. We would literally be in class all day, then go shoot all night and then go edit till the morning and then be in our pajamas and walk to class and whatever, get through it. And and it was wonderful. We had our own little ecosystem and we did our own little thing. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. None of us slept. None of us slept. None of us showered. And, <laughs> nope. and yeah, it was, we were we a special breed. So, beards. Yeah. And, yeah. Everybody had a giant, no one had any personal hygiene <laughs> regimen whatsoever. Nope. Nobody exercised. Nobody ate properly. And I want to say also wild. the ladies too, because I remember Jen Opus yeah. took her hat off once and her hair was so greasy. And she's like, I haven't showered in so long. I'm like, I know, I know. We all haven't. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you, Jen. I feel you. <laughs> that was the first. First thing when I would come home to to my girlfriend, she'd be like, who's now my wife, yeah. um, she, she'd be like, okay, shower, <laughs> like instantly shower, <laughs> shave. We get, we got to get these layers off of you because it's yeah, just... Wash the filth off. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. It's horrible. So Simpson, can you... Uh, okay, so we kind of got a sense of what, what school was like yeah. for all of us. Contrast that with the film industry. So you walk out of school... You and and Lecky have an issue at the border, but you still get back to Canada eventually. We do. <laughs> contrast it. You get into the film industry. Contrast it. No, we won't talk about that. So what's the question? What? Yeah. So let me get to the question. <laughs> God damn it. Let me get to the question. Um, contrast what's, your film What's school. the question, Josh? Get to it? Yeah. Hold on, guys. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to get to the question. Um, contrast film school with the real world. 
what like how much different was it first off but more on the relationship side like what was it like to to work with people that you didn't know and you knew you weren't going to be with for that long uh, you mean on or maybe on set or at william f white on set and like in the actual yeah, business like in uh, in whites that sort of thing well it's there is that same ecosystem it's much larger you know there are thousands if not tens of thousands of people working in the film industry in south ontario and we all know each other eventually it's really weird and be, and it's because you do rely on everyone else and not just their technical prowess but their quality as a human being right because what i try to tell the students too is you don't just walk into a work environment you have to first create the work environment. You could be in the middle of a field somewhere. Great. We're going to make a Lord of the Rings movie. Well, that sounds splendid. But the first thing we need is power and it's got to be safe. And then we have to have distribution for that. And then we're going to need scaffolding. We need all of these things. And it comes down to the technical prowess, but also the ability just to be human beings and to make sure we're all looking out for each other and we're all safe and all this stuff. So that was still kind of in essence what we were doing in film school just a smaller version of that because we are making, you know, 50 movies a semester <clears throat> way more than that. And so, mm -hmm. and we're out, we're out, you know, on, in the wild, you know, professors are giving us hundred thousand dollar cameras and saying, okay, go make a movie bucko. We'll see you in two days. I have you showered. Go shoot your Viking. Right? Movie. Yeah. Go shoot your Viking yeah. movie on top of a freaking mountain in negative 40 temperature. Like, why not? Sounds good, you know what I mean? Stick those batteries in your pants because otherwise they'll freeze. But it, it so there is that com that that com that camaraderie is there. I think um, the shock when I finally got into the industry was just how few people actually care. It's just a job. So outside of the fact that they're going to do a damn good job, they don't watch their movies, they don't watch the things they do, and they don't care to talk about it. It's just a job like any other job. And that blew me away. I, I did not anticipate hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. The You wonder, Corey and I talked about this in a different episode we did with somebody else, but you bring money into it and money changes creativity, changes art, all that thing. So the second people start getting paid for it, it, it changes the whole dynamic of, yeah. of what's going on. And yeah, that shocked me too. When I moved to Vancouver and the amount of people who are just like, didn't like movies but worked in the film industry they're like oh it's just yeah. a job you realize a lot of it was just blue collar work for a it lot of really people. is other than like camera yeah. it's it's blue collar it really is it's wild absolutely yeah. wild yeah. it's 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 a strange thing to try to make that balance too right like if if you're gonna take your industry and make it a business or whatever it may be yeah. you gotta you gotta be aware that you're going to be compromising something you know, mm -hmm. there's going to be deadlines. There's going to be all these things that compromise your art. And, but that being said, like I look, you know, I do a video, video production business. I do a lot of commercials and things like that for businesses. And I look back on other things I've done and go, would I rather be doing anything else, mm -hmm. you know, than working for myself and, you know, being able to create these, these different productions. I don't know. I don't think yeah. so. I agree. Yeah. There's a, uh, an interview I watched with Fincher. This is a while ago, so I'm probably going to mess up what exactly he said, but he was talking about how he, he when he would wrap a film, he knew if it was going to be good or if it was going to be great because he doesn't make bad movies, but he was like, I know it's going to be good or great, but based on how much I had to compromise while we were mm -hmm. shooting. So if I had to compromise a lot, I know it's just going to be good. If I don't have to compromise that much of what I want to do, I know it's going to mm -hmm. be great. So that's how much faith he has in his own ability. But it leads back to to what you're saying about like you do have to make compromises in in the arts and when money gets involved and time and stuff like that. Yeah. So ultimately, how much you compromise is probably how good your work's going to be. I remember uh, when I was at William F. White, they for about two months they asked me to step back from being client rep and to launch this new rental procedure called the rentals desk so it's basically everything went funneled to one desk and we would distribute all the work and print and log all the contracts it was a good idea so i was on the desk on the floor for two months and so i'm dealing with all these transport drivers and at the time we were doing a film called the shape of water with guillermo del toro good film 
And uh, yeah. the drivers were coming in and complaining nonstop, saying this fucking guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, we're taking so long for these shots. It's stupid. This movie doesn't make any sense. Like, they were mad. They were mad. They're talking about Guillermo yeah, del Toro yeah. saying that? And, <laughs> and I'm like, and, and for me, you just you just smile and nod, right? That's what I've learned in my life from being a little kid. You just smile and nod. Let people talk. And when they're okay, done, truck you just, yeah, you just move on. Yeah. And so <laughs> when they left, I had mentioned it to uh, the manager of the floor. And he goes, oh, that's such a good sign. That means it's going to be a good movie. Because if the transport people hate it, it means they're working. It means they're being pushed. <laughs> and that's a good thing. When they when 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 transport says this movie is flowing so great, it's gonna be garbage because it means that there's no creativity and they're just hustling through the shots. And yeah, end up winning best picture. So I guess it was I guess there was some truth to those words. Sorry, transport. Dude, it's it's so it's so funny you're saying that. I remember like maybe I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, I just moved back to Ottawa and they were shooting a movie. I remember talking to a guy who was working on it and he's like, oh yeah, dude, such an easy gig, such an easy gig. And he was working, he wasn't driving, but he was working something in transport. And he's like, oh dude, days are so easy. He's like, you know, 16 hour days. He's like, I don't do much. And I remember the movie came out and the movie, it was with Jennifer Lawrence. I can't remember the name of it. It was like house at the end of the street or Mm -hmm. something like that. But I remember it just got, like destroyed by like critics and viewers and stuff like that and i never really thought about it till you just brought yeah. that up that like if people are working it's probably going to be good and in that one no one apparently was working that hard <laughs> and it turned out to be terrible so it's weird maybe there is something i think so that. yeah I, I i do i do one the biggest one was it's interesting though uh yeah. there's... i worked hard on on lucky's movie but it was shit <laughs> so, <but anyway. laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> what did you do on lucky's film no, I'm just kidding. That's a good question. No, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, what did he do? I was the grip. What did I do? I was the grip. Yeah, what was your role on that film? He fucked the dog. That's what he did. Who are you talking, you talking about? Me? Yeah, what, were you, what yeah. did you do on Corey's I, film? I, I, I laid on the floor and recorded Okay, the sound. you're the sound recordist. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Cool. That was it. I was, was, I I was out. Yeah. I literally laid on the ground and recorded the there sound. There was very few dolly shots. There was, so there was very little for me to do in that film. So I stayed with Reed for a lot of the shoot. And helped him uh, do everything, and so I was—I I don't actually remember what everyone else did. I was just kind of became his. In my, in my film, there wasn't many dolly shots. There was the stuff outside in the uh, with the uh, the western uh, on the sidewalk. Yeah. that was all very difficult. And we had one shot inside. Uh, there was a pretty big setup at Rory's. At, at Rory's, yeah. But I remember outside yeah. of that, a lot of what we did was we did some like fake car light rigs. I was helping Ray uh, Reed set that up. You did a gorgeous. Um, yeah, I think he had four redheads on on C stand arms. That was on Sabalski's. That, that was on Sabalski's. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was no. It that was, was that, so you it say? Was at, no, it was at Rory's house. We did it. One hundred percent. We might have um, used the shot. Oh, oh, are you talking about the headlights when he's laying yes. in the ditch and it kind of yes. goes? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was it. Was that was, was mind blowing. I was. I remember just being like, oh, like I just had such a great time on that shoot, but I didn't have. There wasn't a lot of gripping to do outside of like the uh, exteriors which were all brutally hard but great super fun i sat in the film van and uh every time someone opened the door i'd be like shut the door it's cold out there and everybody else oh, was man. outside freezing their <laughs> the exterior outside. the exteriors were a challenge on that yeah. film for sure man it was like when we did the pickup day it was minus 60 out like it was cold now so cold. none of that's allowed anymore not in the van I uh, I Is that first right? thing i did when i took over was i instilled a new rule negative 20 with the wind chill there is no shooting outside, but that's because for, yeah. for two reasons. One, I don't want kids hurting themselves and B, film cameras are resilient. It's just metal, right? Com- they're right. like computers. Now you can't just take a fucking yeah, yeah. Alexa out in negative 60 so, weather. That's crazy. <laughs> all, all your sensors and everything. Oh yeah. They would just freeze over. over. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So no way. Yeah, Didn't so you already good. have that rule when we were at film school though? Cause when my film was shot, it was minus 20 and you didn't show up. So I just assumed you already had that rule in place. I, I was there. I was Damn. there. I left for two hours for one day. And that is translated to three days of absence. <laughs> and you know the worst? And he apparently yeah. collapsed from pneumonia. I know. It's ridiculous. So, yeah. I, you went to the hospital, didn't you, for that those two hours? No, that was... So I was um, the director of residential life for the student union. 
and I had to go, I had to go for this dinner because all the investors in the Rotary Club and all these people were doing this big thing and I had to be there and I was on your stupid shoot and by the time I got there, I had missed the meal and just got reamed out by everyone and I'm in a suit and I had no money. I had to go to Value Village and buy like this $30 suit and I'm, and I, and I, didn't eat because I had missed your meal. So I was going to eat there and I had missed the food and got reamed out, took my suit off, got my clothes back on, went back to your set and got reamed out for being away for the two hours. And you'd already eaten. And I was like, this is that, like, that's comedy. That's, that's, that's British comedy right there. 101. I loved it. You know, that you know what I'm funny. hearing here, Sabolski? I'm, I'm just hearing a bunch of crying. Of like, That's just, all I'm doing. I'm being yeah. a fuck crying baby. But it was just so... No, I'm saying it was yeah. so funny. It was just like... Because I didn't have skills in that sense. I don't... I didn't know how to do anything. You know what I mean? So now I'm trying to manage like all of this stuff and go back and forth. I don't know what I'm doing. It was wild. Yeah, if nothing else, we learned we learned a lot about time management, yeah, right? Yeah, um, For sure. Yeah, just juggling a million things. I wish that oh, actor yeah. still um, existed, by the way. That angry dude you had. That angry dad. He was actually pretty good. Oh, Steve? Was, yeah, he was good. I wish he was still around. What I happened to him? I, I mean, it's 15 years. I came back and he wasn't in the casting book anymore. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. He was from Southern Ontario, so maybe he moved oh. back. But yeah, he was very talented. Yeah, Steve Brooks. He was great. Yeah, Sorry, was I got scary. us totally side sidebarred there. We were talking. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I just started insulting yeah. people. And that's, that's where, where we went. Goes. But it sounds good. Yeah. Right? It was something, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was something to do with work. Yeah. But. So l- let's talk about you going back, because that is actually your second story. Corey, I don't know if you had a question there and I interrupted, but let's talk about you no, actually going yeah, back. Let's, to sure. Bay. let's yeah. go there, because I'm going to have some questions around that. All right, sounds so. good. All right. So you, you obviously left the film industry to go back to the film school that was your, I don't alma know, mater. what do you call it? Alma, alma, alma mater, mater or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's whatever. That you're shit alum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're alum. Yeah, there you go. That's the word I was actually looking yeah. for. So you're alum. So you go back to, to Thunder Bay. Corey wanted to ask this question, so I'm stealing it from him, if that's cool. Um, what was that conversation like with your family? Hey, we're going to leave this metropolis that is Toronto. We're going to go to little old cold ass Thunder Bay. What was that? Well, like? um, it was an easy decision, uh, oddly enough. So uh, my son had received, well, we were, we, we had an inclination that there was a diagnosis coming. For my son because he was having a very hard time living in toronto toronto has an energy a very angry rushed energy where at any moment anyone will compromise you you know like people will cut you off with like an inch right because they've got to be one car up ahead and it was every day there was this relentless anger and intensity and the summer before we had made the decision um, a biker got hit right in front of our house as we were getting off the bus. And it was, it was, it, it wasn't fatal, but it very well could have been. It was very messy and we had to walk past it. And the only reason it happened was because someone was in a rush and just cut this guy on a bike off. Two weeks later, a guy on a bike was going down the sidewalk and like screamed at my kids to jump out of the way. Um, because he didn't want to have to slow down on a sidewalk. Now they were with the dad who became Papa Bear immediately, and I just stepped and kicked him down. But that's another thing. You don't do that Wait, to you my kids. The guy? <laughs> no, no, I kicked his bike. I assaulted his bike. And okay, all right, that yeah. that's so much. Better. Well, because you're not gonna. It was a, you're using as a weapon against my kids. My daughter was three. You know what I mean? Like you just don't do that. Yeah. And and. So I grew up with that stuff. That was one thing. He was having a really hard time. So my son was very happy to go. On top of that, I would hit a ceiling professionally at William F. White where I had started to create my own initiatives and they weren't going anywhere. So like my neck is just craning at the ceiling of where I can go. Creatively, I was doing better because I was directing and that was, I was getting heat and now people were approaching me to direct projects. So that was the really only hard part for myself. My wife was trepidatious because she had a lot of friends and she has a lot of roots in Toronto. 
And for her, those relationships are important. I didn't really have friends in my life, so I don't need friends. I'm okay to not, I can leave, no problem. So for me, it was more about, you know, trying to do the right thing for the, for my future and for my son. And my wife and I both agreed that it would be the best thing for, for Baxley. Um, and so I kind of like, it was hard to, because for William F. White, that was easy. Um, because I was ready to move on to something else. Um, but it was like my whole dream of being a director had finally kind of come there. You know what I mean? And and then it was like, you got to say bye again. Because, you know, it's not going to happen. So my last I did basically three projects in two months to kind of like carry my next year. So I could kind of plan to try and stay relevant. And my wife said, let's do it. Her name's Liz. So I should say her name. She, her name's Liz and she's amazing. And so we took a look at the houses in Thunder Bay. They're very affordable, crazy affordable. It's the last city in the world where you can like afford a house. And we especially come from Toronto. Yeah. Right? I mean, our, our, yeah. we are in, we're in a very good neighborhood, right? It's not, it's not this, but it's quite nice. And our mortgage is $400 less than our rent in Toronto. Now <laughs> I want to stress that we have a very difficult rental market in Toronto and I have two kids. So we're being renovicted out of every house because of that loophole. So the last place we could afford in Toronto um, that would still allot us to have bedrooms of our own um, was in a very sketchy neighborhood. And the first weekend when I went out to do the groceries, there was someone smoking crack on my front porch. When I say porch, stoop, right? Because we lived above like a, a variety store. And I was like, Shh, okay. Now I understand why no one wants to live here. And so there was a lot of trying to understand the community there and have conversations with those people. But knowing in the back of my head, I grew up with this. So it's okay for me when I see, I'm not shocked by this. So I had to talk with this person and said, I will give you times when I won't walk out the door and you can sit here and you can, you can get your fix. But like, I'm, if I open the door and I say, I need you to go, it's because my kids are coming down and I can't have them see it. And please don't leave anything. And he didn't. He was super cool about it. We had a great understanding. And so I said, this is a safe place to, 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 to do your drugs, but there's a time. But that's the type of conversation I don't want my kids to have to feel as normal. So right. I want them to have a little bit, because again, I'm comfortable, but I also know in the back of my head, because I've lived it, that there is an erraticism sometimes associated to substance abuse and I can't trust erraticism around my children. And so all of these things were kind of playing into it. Um, so yeah, you know, I was working for TIFF actually at the same time as I was, I was an employee at TIFF working the film festivals. I was doing a lot of great stuff, but it's not the me show. It's I'm part of a family. And so when we made the decision to come here, part of it was get a good house, live in a good neighborhood, do do it right and the first night they stayed we all slept here uh the next morning my son and i don't want to quote trump but tears in his eyes <laughs> he said uh i don't hear anyone yelling i it's it's nice and quiet and he was really happy like he was really happy and he's been his mental health has never been better and so everything okay. else going away that's that's everything so the fact that i have a job that i love and we live in a beautiful 70s house and uh all this is all icing on the cake right but like he's doing great and my wife is so dynamic she's got a million friends here and she's doing great so it worked out it really did that's awesome, that's awesome. yeah i got Good a comment hear. on the the wood behind yeah. you yeah that's amazing to hear the uh it reminds me so much of the basements i would hang out with it in as a yeah, kid with the uh too. the poster from the 84 yeah was it the canada That's cup right. right yeah yeah there you go yeah and then the the uh, wood panel it's yeah. awesome it was a big selling feature it's 
<laughs> well, because I was like, <laughs> you know, you ever seen Beetlejuice, right? You know when you, you know you know when he says like when when Jeffrey Jones says, just don't touch this room. Then we when we looked over yeah. this house, Liz had plans for everything. But I said, just don't touch this room. I really need this to stay a seventies <laughs> basement because it's perfect. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, awesome. Go ahead. Um, yeah, a question about you know, your, your work. So, um, so you're teaching now in the film program. Um, what's, so just for context for, for anyone that's listening, uh, we graduated 16 years ago from film school and I'm just wondering what's the crop of students like now compared to what they were back then? Um, nice. (laughs) They're all very nice. (laughs) Well, yeah, we weren't. Uh, wait, are you are you comparing them to me and Josh? Because no, we that's not we fair. We were all salty, right? We were we were a salt. We loved each other, but we were salty, right? To, to each, each other. other, and that was part of how we expressed our camaraderie, right? They're incredibly mm-hmm. supportive, and the last two years they have really made an effort to try and not click up, to try and make sure everyone, you know, everyone is successful. And I I, I use our class a lot. For examples, and I and I'm going to call out two people, Rory Derno and Jen Opus, um, who were both incredibly reserved and quiet people that no one really paid any attention to. And on my on my color Bolex film, I was desperately in need of a crew person, and Rory introduced himself to me and said, "I, you know, I I just want to let you know I'm I'm happy to help out if you need to." And I just didn't even know who he was, and so of course. And Rory just immediately became this amazing member of our group and became a huge resource for us. He was my AD. He was your cam op, uh, uh, Corey. I, 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 yeah. Was he on your film? He was my he was your AD. AD as well. He was my he's AD. An, he's, and he was he's an, an actor. Incre- <laughs> yes, that's right. He's an incredible young man and is doing really well in the industry now. Jen Opus became my first camera assistant. Um, and, 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 and it's done incredible work. Oh, she, yeah, she was my AD on my film and, and camera assisted me a lot, like on many films. Yeah. And, and those two individuals, uh, had we stayed clicky, not only would we have, uh, we would have taken away their opportunity. We all came here with a dream and we're, we're, we're doing to them what society was doing to all of us. And we're predetermining people's worth and we're predetermining where they can go, which is fucked up. And they broke out of that mold and they showed us what anyone is capable of. But on top of that, it paid back to us because it, it increased our pool of people that had drive and had and that wanted to be doing this and so there's 50 of you and if you all came here for a reason like you could have 50 awesome crew members instead of 10 awesome crew members and you 40 that will just make shit amongst yourselves right and i look back and i think like you know there was a lot more people that maybe could have been there we had some we had a couple of people that you know 100 percent were not going to help but, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, you are able yeah. to create your own world here for the next two years. These kids sure. can make their own rules on how they want to treat each other and how they want to build each other up. And they're super receptive to that. And a lot of the predetermined judgments that we were all indoctrinated with from our culture and how we grew up, they're not there anymore. And the things that are that were issues to us are no longer issues. No one gives a shit about gender. No one gives a shit about sexuality. No one gives a shit about any of that. It's old people care about that. Young people don't care anymore. We've moved on to bigger problems. Like, how am I going to buy a house? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's bigger <laughs> problems that they're worried about. Um, and it's really right. refreshing to see in their art. Um, that they're also more willing to be open with their feelings. We weren't. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying yeah. for sure. It's, it's interesting that you say that too. Cause it was, it was kind of cool watching even in our group, just watching everybody kind of find their niche, find their thing that they're good at. Like I think of someone like George Renner, yeah. um, 
he, he found, you know, his visual effects and he was so good at yeah. it. And, um, I actually just, so I, I teach at college here in Sarnia, awesome. uh, video production. And, um, I just had this, almost this exact same discussion with, with my class the other day about, um, me as a business owner, when I'm looking to hire, to be honest with you, I can teach you camera. I can teach you lights. I can teach you sound. I can teach all those things to an employee, but what I can't teach is work ethic, social skills. I mean, you can talk about those things, but it's, it's those, those pieces come a bit inherent in a person. Yeah. Um, so me personally, when I'm looking to hire as a business, I'm usually looking to hire someone that works hard. Um, that's, uh, easy to talk to that can take constructive criticism and, um, that yeah, just, uh, is able to, to move, move with what we need. Yeah. The rest I can teach. I can teach camera and all that stuff to you totally. and, and, and add, add skills. So, so yeah, that's, that's cool, man, to, to hear that difference. Mm -hmm. And I think that's being reflected in the film industry now too, is that you're seeing a lot of talented individuals who just happen to be extraordinarily mean. And that is now the variable that's preventing them from getting work because the new filmmakers right. the new film workers are from a new generation who are like, we're happy to work hard, but you don't have to treat us like this. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. that, that, that whole system of, well, they treated me like garbage. So now I'm going to treat you like garbage. It's, it's, it's fading now yeah. too. It's really wild. So yeah, you can, <laughs> you can't stop people from being a-holes, but you can, you can teach them the cameras. You can kind of see it too. And uh, you just look at certain actors careers, yeah. like the trajectory that they've, or like what they've fallen into. You're like, Oh, why can't they get good work anymore? Yeah. And then you kind of wonder like, is there something behind the scenes? And a lot of times there is, but I won't name names, but we all, I think all here know who I'm referring I to. I don't, but I will give yeah. one example. <laughs> <laughs> James Woods. Oh, no. I love James Woods. I don't care what his political affiliation is. I love James Woods. I love seeing him in movies and no one will hire him because he's a raging a-hole now. And he like has to impress his opinions on everything. And it's heartbreaking because he's one of my all time favorite actors. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't honestly remember the last time I saw him, maybe like straw dogs remake, which was like 10 yeah. years ago, maybe more than that. I think that's the last time I, I saw him in something. That was family guy. Family guy. Yeah. Ooh, piece of candy. It, <laughs> uh, any given Sunday. I mean, that's 1999, but he killed it in that movie. He was the uh, medic. Yeah, was he good. was the medic faking everyone and, you know, sending him out hurt and everything. Right. He killed it. He's such a dynamic actor. And it just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see people being like, no, no, I'm just going to choose my personality <laughs> over like sharing my art. <laughs> yeah. There's you know? a, yeah there's a long list yeah of, it's a yeah. shame are you still finding time to 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 make films like yourself are you still directing i am so um uh how, okay so sorry i'm like stumbling here because i'm trying to like one of the things i've learned is that my addiction to work is part of my illness but i still work constantly right. So yes, I've got several feature scripts on the go literally right now with several different co-writers that i'm trying to get funding for I have one feature with actors attached um, and, and I'm trying to get funding for the, I've, I've got a short in post that I made with my students uh, during COVID um, it's in post hell because, and you might remember this, remember the chasing mascots film that Lee made and we had a great time filming it. And then it went to the one student in post and it just died. You can't give, mm. yeah, Post is hard to give to students because they're on their own. And I've learned that. Right. But on um, last, so last summer I had a meeting and I was just told like, it's cute that you keep making these shorts, but like if they're shorts, no one cares. And my last short I made before I moved here was called big wheels. And it was my biggest project yet. It was a $50,000 budget. It was written by Stephen King. Uh, and it, it had, we, we, it had the makings to be a big film. It was a 23 minute film. Uh, we shot it over two days and, and it was polished. Like we got it professionally done every step of the way. Top people worked on it. Uh, one of James Cameron's cinematographers shot it. Like we really went all wow. out for this film wow. and then COVID hit and it was like, and, mm -hmm. and, and so that, that hurt. 
So yeah, you couldn't even show it, right? Online, like in a meaningful online, way. Online, exactly. Online festivals, and you had like the film was designed for a theater. Like it, there, there were all these little builds and things happening, right? And like taking cues from people who like really tease audio to steer you, like Lynch and Gaspar Noe and all these filmmakers, and learning from that. And it did nothing. It 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 played at a drive-in, which was cool. Um, because that was allowed during COVID, but it, it, it did nothing. And so that was supposed to be my bridge. And so, uh, what I did last summer was I sold my GameCube collection, my PS2 collection and my Xbox collection. And I funded a spec spot for another feature script that I've written. So we shot that and it's been color corrected and now it's in post. So that's going to be like. My, my my baby script I really want to do, here is one segment of it, ready to go. It's done. Please give me money. And two days ago, we started, we had our first day of production on a feature that myself and another professor, Jessica Graham, we're going to co-direct this summer. And so we're doing it Sam Raimi style. It's like, we're not paying anyone. Bring a sandwich because we're making a movie. And so... Uh, Black Magic 4K Pocket with an anamorphic Micro Four Third lens. Um, Thunder Bay nice. is a gorgeous city for architecture, and it still looks like the 70s here. And so, <laughs> let's own it. And uh, and so it's 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 inspired by 70s cop films. It's inspired by the French Connection and Columbo and Banachek and McLeod and all that stuff. And so uh, we shot one scene at the airport two days ago where we, 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 we cut off this dude's head um, right in front of a plane. It was great. And uh, Damien Gilbert, uh, he is, he, yeah. he, we cut his head off. And so, and oh, was yeah? Michael elated a part was of that? that? Was the Michael elated he was, part of yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. podcaster? Yeah, okay. I saw a picture of it on, he posted something oh, cool. on Instagram. Oh, cool. That's what it. it was. Yeah. So, um nice oh, okay so okay i was wondering that it's, too. it's this story so basically it's 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 a cop film with like there's like a local mob and there's this german mob coming in i'm teasing a little bit about what's what's really happening in thunder bay uh with the ports and everything but it's mostly let's just have fun and let's just go over the top and make a film and so it's not our baby but we're but so we're it's it's not precious but we're gonna we're gonna fight hard for it and so uh, it's casted. We're going to shoot random days here and there. Just a scene here, a scene there. Uh, my, my editor in Toronto is on standby. He's down to do it pro bono um, because we all want to make a feature. And so at the end of the summer, we'll have this in the can. It'll go to post. It'll get finished. And then I can say, look, I did a feature. And here's my spec. And here's my five scripts. And now can we talk? Give me money. Give me money. You <laughs> bastards! Money me, money now, me money. now, because yeah. I'm getting old and I want to make movies. So yes, it's still doing it. I, I, I want to talk about one thing. Well, I want to talk about two things, but this one first. You talked about being addicted to yeah. work. Corey, I know, is addicted yeah. to work. I am also addicted to work. What is that like? Talk about that, because like a lot of people are not addicted to work, and we live in a time where people are addicted to the opposite. So they're addicted to not working. Uh, I, <laughs> Where does that come from? Why do you think people yeah. like us are addicted? To I work? think a little bit has to do with Thomas the train and being told to be a useless and en- uh, a useful engine, right? You got to work and be useful. No, I think it comes down to um, Protestant values, you know, growing up a poor wasp and being like, you have to work and 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 you have to work. I also spent, uh, I'd say 10 years of my life doing nothing. I mean it. I would literally sit on the couch and watch infomercials, the same infomercial, you know, the, 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 the magic bullet on repeat for eight hours and then go to bed. Like I just, I just had no drive to do anything other than watch movies or just stare and was just waiting for whatever was going to happen in my life. And so the big change happened um, when I moved out on my own because it was like, well, you're supposed to just work. So I guess I'll just work. And then you just do it and you do it and you do it. And then it translates to things that are fun because now I'm in film school and it's fun to work now. Now I want to do it all the time. It still is fun. Um, I think it's been getting worse 
truthfully, because I always felt like I had to earn my R&R. And now I feel like I almost can't have R&R. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I too. And, and my Liz is very good about calling me out on it. Um, but basically I push myself till I collapse and then I take a 24 hour like sleep and then I do it again. And yeah, mm. and I know that's not healthy, but well, and yeah. I, I think all three of us, me, me and Josh have had these conversations and we do the same thing. And, um, there, there's kind of an important concept where, you know, for years you trade your time for money yeah. at some point you got to trade your money for time, yes. right? Because time, time is the most like. When you think about it, time is the absolute most valuable thing that we that we have as an asset, yep. right? And we have less of it, and it can day. change like that where it's not available yeah. to you. you and know? I think that's part of it too. Was like once I had made, like I never thought I'd make a film. I had made this little. I tried to make a feature when I was in my when I was like twenty one, not knowing anything. I had worked and worked and worked. I worked three jobs for three years. My day off was Sunday because I only worked one job, right? Like I did not know how to stop. So I had, I, I'm like 21. I've got like $10,000 sitting in the bank. So I'm going to make a feature now. But I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'll tell you right now, I pissed away $10,000 because it's just, it's a bunch of master shots with an onboard mic with no cinematic lighting. It was like Manos, the hands of fate. Right. It was just brutal. And that was a big wake up call because it was like, you're, you're clearly stupid. So get smart and do it again. You know what I mean? Because you don't know what you're doing. You just spent stupid. You spent $10,000. Oh, I got Moxie. Yeah. But is that different? Is that that being said, you you learn from that, right? I learned not to do it again. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and so honestly, when I, when I moved to London to be with Liz, I just, I just worked. I worked, I I had one day off in the entire time I lived in London. I had one day off and it was one of my birthdays. I decided to take a day off and I watched um, the man with no name trilogy. I watched all three Sergio Leone films and I thought that was fun. I should probably try to do that again one day. Cause it was nice to not do that for a while, but it was meeting a, 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 someone who I still talk to um, uh, there was a guy named Matt in, in London and, and he was a big film guy. And so when we both kind of, we were both older, we were both too old to be doing what we were doing. And we both said, let's do it. Let's go to film school together. Let's go and, and just do it. And that was a big reason why I kind of moved and, and did the whole film school thing. But yeah, man, it's fun, you know? And so it's hard. Yeah, and, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> I'm going to be dead one day and I probably won't have a reincarnation because I don't really believe in that. And so you're, you're, you're just, life is so silly. This, the fact that we even get to do this is so it's funny how the world works and how the universe works. So you got to use it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm, you, you don't have much left. So part of me reflects back. I am long winded. I'm sorry. I don't talk much to people. Um, no, that's good. Uh, one of my f- a, f- a film that was a huge inspiration for me was Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. Have any, either of you seen Dreams? I haven't seen Dreams. No, so I don't think I have. He either. tried, unless I sat in your dorm and watched it. <laughs> it's possible. Your, yeah, your Camden. I know Camden watched it <laughs> once. Um, my 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 Color Bolex film, the scene with Harriet where she comes out and 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 coddles Camden to death is was inspired from a, a scene from that movie um i lit that and film. so you did you did a great job you and chris Ajak, you did a great job and uh so kurosawa had had tried to kill himself because his country had taken away his ability to make films and it was spielberg and lucas and coppola who would finance and allow him to keep making films because they were his heroes but he near the end decided to make a film where he filmed his dreams, all of his childhood dreams. He wanted to film them as a preservation for whatever reason. And one of them uh, had to do with Van Gogh and Martin Scorsese plays Van Gogh and he's furiously painting and a young Kurosawa walks up to him and listens to him. And he Scorsese turns and blows up at him and goes, how are you not painting right now? 
Like, how can you just not make something? Because it's right here in front of you. You just, you have to do it. You have to always do it. And I, that to me was like, okay, that's, that's part of this is like, you spent 10 years literally doing nothing with your life. You're 23 now and you've got nothing going on work. Just go, 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 go. Because one day you won't be able to paint. One day you won't be able to make film. And so you had better look back at everything you've done and say, I did it. Because otherwise, otherwise you didn't, right? Dennis has that philosophy, right? If you want to learn how to play guitar, do it. Because five years from now, you either can or you can't, right? And that was it. I just, right. I just have to do it. So I'm just going to keep doing it. I remember him saying yeah. that. Him say, he yeah. said it about the guitar and he said it about kayaking. Yes, he did. <laughs> You want to learn to yeah learn, yeah because that was where it got in the whole boat in the in the That's river right. thing that was like a notorious speech when we went to film school but it was like a two-hour conversation but that was the whole part that i remember is him talking about kayaking because yeah. i liked kayaking and i was like what are these bitches don't know how to kayak come on <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but when he said it it made sense I'm Ottawa, I was one son. Of, yeah yeah i'm on the ottawa river i know how to kayak um yeah, no, it, that stuck with me, me actually too. when he talked about kayaking because I was like, yeah, I want to write and, you know, that's what I want to leave the world. I'm not going to leave much to the world other than, you know, my children and, you know, their their family and stuff like that. But like to the rest of the world, I'm nothing, but I can leave my words yeah, behind and, you and hopefully they're, they're good words. You made it, you I have. I mean, no matter whatever happens novel, in the rest man. of my life. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I wrote one. I want to write like yeah. 50 of them and hopefully that's what I can leave yeah. the world one day. It's awesome. Something, something to laugh at. And Look, this, this guy thought he could write. You books. know what I, I can barely talk. But he, no, but, and, and that's yeah, he can't this, read. This is talk, what but. this is. You'll be taught in school what not to do: literary. Uh, that's true. <laughs> literary classes. Yeah. <laughs> but literary failure is one hundred and one. But I, but and and that's where I bless myself every day, and I bless the world for allowing me. Not religious. I'm just I'm just saying it. But like it's, uh, you know, you Corey, myself, we're. We are living our dreams and that's fucking lucky. And so mm-hmm. right. keep doing it. Just how could I not yeah. make films? You know what I mean? How could you not write? True. How can you not create? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. what we do. Right. It's awesome. We're yeah. some of the few human beings in history who haven't had to like go out and actually hunt for their food yeah. or defend themselves 24 seven from something that was going to kill them. Yeah. We're very fortunate and for us to just be like i'm too tired to write today yeah. it's it's kind of a piss poor excuse so that's i i get your addiction to to work and Corey's, and i get my own obviously yeah. so yeah it's interesting to hear you gotta be you careful you made me really out, think about right? mine. and that does just gotta be careful well, yeah the that's burnout. what pneumonia was i mean i burnt myself out i was my i was averaging two hours of sleep my diet was non-existent i was smoking way too much and mm-hmm. yeah so I did. Yeah. Life lesson. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we were always outside in the cold, not wearing proper no, clothing exactly, and stuff like that. It's, exactly. Yeah. We were just <laughs> dumb village kids. leather jackets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No gloves. And so bit by bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Val. I, I missed that jacket, but yeah, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. You know what I mean? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I always had no a hoodie on under yeah, my value too. village leather jacket. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and that I had that, that like woolly sweater with the, with the hood. And I remember wearing that. Oh, I yeah, wore I that the yeah. first winter when I was in Toronto. One of the co-workers. God, that sweater stuff. <laughs> it did, it did. I just smoked <laughs> constantly in this thing. And uh, yeah. I, I remember the first day I wore it on set. Guy goes, you know what that reminds me of? The bird lady from Home Alone 2. You look like a fucking bird oh lady. <laughs> I was like, I'm going, I'll buy a new jacket tomorrow, I promise. And I that's did. so accurate. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, you so just accurate. grow acclimatized that's... to your own stink, you know, and your own nastiness. <laughs> But I, oh my god! But again, part of part of the you know when I when I had kids too was just sort of transition out of that stuff. So quitting smoking and and you know not drinking anymore and and trying to drink eat a little better and and sleep a little more and you know what I mean. Still not great at all this stuff. But at least I quit smoking. So bit by bit, just trying to do a little bit, you know, because I know right. that the one thing I can't control is my work habits. So I had better do other things to limit its impact 
Uh, Sobolski and I have been talking, well, we've been talking for a few years that that we need to make our way back up to Thunder Bay and to the, to the school, but like, like to make it meaningful somehow. Like, I don't know if we can uh, talk in your class or guest direct or do, I don't know, do something. We'll, we'll come up with something weird oh, yeah. that, that we come up and actually get involved Absolutely. in. But, we'll go um, shoot our pilot up there. Well, the pilot yeah, we we've been pilot. writing. <laughs> so there is something very unique that our program launched last year. This is something that Eric has really wanted for a long time. You know, he was always been pushing shoots in the summer, right? Even when we were there, it's like, ah, oh, come on, we got to make stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Him and Lee were always doing always that, doing right? That like different. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Uh, the broadcasting department became DMP digital media production and it foreclosed two years ago. And so all of that space and equipment has been, reallocated to the imd program and film so we got the studio right so now we have the studio it's ours and all of their equipment and that equipment room upstairs on the second floor is now the summer shoots alumni room so it is free for any student or alumni of either program can come back at any time and can make a feature free of charge we have seven 4k black magic ursa cameras we have a red one we have lights grip sound everything and anyone can come back anytime and can make whatever they want last year we had three or four just just in studio or outside of studio as well anywhere i'm just saying like the the equipment we have that now as well yeah and so there's uh there's also going to be several shoots happening and some people are staying in town and one person's coming back uh, this summer for that reason. So y'all, oh, if, really yeah, cool. Josh, you want to make something, you want to make a pilot. Like literally we have an equipment room. You two are alumni. You can have it for free. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Well, we, we've, uh, we've written a, a TV uh, script. Like we've got, we've got a pilot written and part of a second episode and we've got a bunch of other episode ideas, but it's, we think it's pretty That's good. Awesome. And a couple yeah. other people I've read it think it's pretty good. So yeah, we're just trying to figure out ways to to get it shot, get it funded, all that kind of stuff. So I think the thing would be getting it funded where no one, <laughs> nobody's going to let us shoot anything. I, I got every rejection letter for uh, second story work for turning <laughs> into a TV series. I got my endless stack of them. It's yeah. about a mile high. But yeah, it's uh, I mean, that that's so tempting Dude, for, for a lot of remember Thunder Bay. It just like, it, it comes down to we just got to do it ourselves, yeah. right? Like we got to just make it happen that's ourselves. That's what all this is. Yeah. So Simpson, you want to give us a plug for for the college or anything like that? Do you want to talk about the program? So the pro absolutely. So um, yeah, conflicts has been getting better and better and better. One of the thing, the the strength of our program has always been that we create workers. We don't lie to our students and say, we're going to graduate 50 directors. You're going to learn directing because unlike every other film school, you're going to make seven films. You will direct and produce seven films. No other film school does that. But it also helps you to learn that through making those seven films, you're going to have to crew on probably about 28 to 30 other films through your two years there. So what you're also going to get is a full spectrum look of every opportunity this industry has. We had a key grip up two weeks ago. His name's Tyler Ems. He was the key grip on um, uh, The Witch, uh, the new Resident Evil movie that came out a little while ago. Uh, great guy. And when he and I were leaving uh, the school, I was driving back to the airport, he said, you're graduating workers. Like... Most film schools, you get people coming out and their first day on set, it's a blazer, it's tight pants Tuesday, a little scarf, and where's my coffee? When we graduate people, they come in their crappy old khakis and their work t-shirt, right? Because they've done it. So I love that we still have that. But the neat thing is now having myself with my 12 years of William F. White experience is it's not just a great camera now. Our lighting is dope. Our grip is dope. I, I, our full range of equipment is amazing. And it also helps that William F. White has um, sponsored us with a lot of equipment as well, with, a, with like a no-charge nice. rental so that our kids can have access to equipment that 
although by today's standards is not cutting edge, a film student would love lower grade LEDs or Kino flow lights and things like that. Things that we could have only dreamt of when we had two redheads and a piece of white Bristol yeah. board, right? <laughs> and <laughs> cut this however you want, but I think uh, I'm really proud to be a part of a system where, where 50 kids come in with a dream and we ensure that every one of them feels supported with opportunity and support to walk through those doors. You know what I mean? The doors of success, they're already there waiting for you because it's not like when we were graduating. There's the, the jobs are there. But anyone can walk through it and get booted right back out. We'll make sure you stay. You know, you're going to be you're going to be successful in this industry. And I love it. And they still come out two years, best two years of their life. I will be there at three in the morning and they're still editing, watching weird movies. They're not watching the the Sylvester Stallone porn that we were watching when we were there. Remember, Packenham was always playing that thing on repeat or the Kyle for you doing the um what you say thing and playing that Saturday Night Live sketch. Um but they're, they're, it's still a community. They're still playing board games and talking all night. And and so it's two years where you get to meet 49 other Island of Misfit Toy individuals and you get to belong to something and you get to create whatever you want. You know, that's what we do. And I'm a part of that now. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. And uh, some some of the films can be viewed on conflicts.com. All Is of that... the films can be viewed on conflicts.com. You'll see a, a, a tab there for films. There are films that came out this year that are far better than I could ever do. I mean, really awesome. incredibly talented individuals. www.conflicts.com. You can check out uh, everything we do. Uh, and every single film from our entire history all the way back to 1972. They're all online. Yeah, so make make sure uh, for everyone listening that you also check out that 2007 tab. Heck yes. That's, yeah. So you say. <laughs> Three of us. Uh, shoe, food on your plate <laughs> and shoes on your feet. And uh, Islant fondue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fondue. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Dude. Well, thank you so much, Simpson. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have you on again at some point. Um, maybe maybe after you've finished one of your features or you have that yeah. out, that would be a great thing to, to bring yeah, back. Sounds good. Have you Absolutely. have either of you seen Big Wheels? My Stephen King movie? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, Wouldn't do you want to see it? Do you want me to send you the link or? Yeah, yeah. I'll send it to you. I'll, <laughs> I'll be a nice guy. I'll, I'll tell you that. Of course. Of course. Great. We want to see it. Yeah, because it gives you a taste. Yeah, yeah man. Um, awesome. Yeah, please. I've already watched it, and it's phenomenal. Uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm uh, never seen but it. no, it's 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 good seeing you both. Um, you know, friendships are are hard to sustain when people live far enough away, and and you two have never uh, never missed a beat. You know what I mean? And it's 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 really awesome to see two people uh, with such a special bond, and now creating further, and the next chapter being this podcast. And I, I just think you guys are fucking loving it. I think it's awesome. Thanks, Thanks a lot, so man. Appreciate it. appreciate it. We love you too. Thanks for doing <laughs> this. Love you too, bud. <laughs>